Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and featuring Seahawks sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey, Hawks fans, welcome to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead, and I am here with football analyst and writer, Keith Myers. Hey, it's the afternoon Hello. this time, Keith, so good afternoon. Good afternoon. You know what? It, what it's what the nice part about it being afternoon is I can record this while drinking a beverage. Awesome. I think that's just totally appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Especially <laughs> I am, after Sunday. So I still have this little cough thing going <laughs> with this head cold, and I'm draining. So I am not drinking a uh, an alcoholic beverage. I am drinking coffee just to keep my throat warm, so that I can make it through the podcast without hacking all over everybody. So. So this yeah, week, we don't want to we don't want to make our listeners sick by having to cough all over them. <laughs> well, it's good to be back again, but unfortunately, the Seahawks did not pull out a win uh, Sunday against the Titans. Um, you know, when we went through our prediction show before the season started, Keith, <clears throat> uh, I had this down as a loss, and you had it down as a win. Uh, and both of them were close and, uh, I had the loss, uh, against, uh, I had the win against green Bay and you had the loss. So you kind of had the prediction, uh, of, um, being two and one. And I had the prediction being two and one, but here we are at one and two. What's gone wrong so far, Keith? What's gone wrong so far has simply been that all of the improvement that we really expected the offensive line to show from last year to this year has not happened. It just has evaporated, and the unit is still terrible, and the offense has struggled to do just about anything for the first 10 quarters of the season, and then finally started to get on track uh, in the second, well, right before the uh, halftime on... Uh, Sunday, so we'll see if that continues. Yeah, uh, but at through. the same time, the defense have been giving up some big plays in the run game, and we can talk about that too. But that was a big factor on Sunday. Um, oh yeah, they got they got gashed just yeah. over and over again. Just yeah. were not could not stop the run. So as we move forward into the featured segment today, we'll talk about all that stuff, and we'll go through some stats and some key, key plays and uh, figure out kind of what's going on with the Hawks and see if uh, we can get on track again in the upcoming game against the Colts this Sunday night. It's a night game, primetime Sunday. That sounds like a pretty good cure for me. I think that you know the Seahawks are going to take care of business Sunday, but before we get to that, let's talk about some uh, some things in the news with the Seahawks this week, Keith. 
I think the biggest thing overall, and it's not just the Seahawks, it's league-wide right now, is uh, the team protests uh, during the national anthem. Um, and, you know, why don't you just kind of share some thoughts on that about what the Seahawks did um, that, that maybe is a little unique compared to some of the other teams in the league. And where do you see this thing going? Well, okay, so... What happened was, for those of you who who hadn't heard, which is probably 0% of you, is that the Seahawks and the Titans did not come out of the locker room for the National Anthem. There's been this protest where you've got Michael Bennett sitting uh, out the anthem and and not participating. Originating with Colin Kaepernick last year, sitting and then taking a knee to protest um, social injustice and just racial and racial inequality, police and police brutality, and and just the lack of justice for uh, African American, especially African American men who are um, unrightfully killed by police departments, and and so that's kind of what this protest is about. And then, of course, people are trying to twist it into being something that it's not um, to say that. Uh, that this is an anthem protest or they're a, f- a flag protest is like saying that Rosa Parks uh, was protesting public transportation. Um, that's not what it's about. What people are trying to pretend it's about that so they can they can you know justify their their opposition. And it really isn't about that. It is about um, you know racial inequality and and police brutality and those kind of things. And so uh, after. Basically, what happened? Trump came out. President Trump came out and said and called Michael Bennett and Colin Kaepernick and all of the other players who have participated in this protest up till now um, an SOB, which you know I'll let you you can fill in the, the gaps and what that is. And that didn't go over well. And it kind of galvanized the entire NFL, entire league. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised, Keith. Uh, basketball season's coming up too. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And LeBron James came out and said some things uh, that this kind of morphs into the NBA as well this year. Oh, absolutely. I know the NBA is trying to avoid it, but it, it's going to be there. I mean, it, you had a you had a baseball player join in, the first baseball player to join in the protest um, this weekend as well. Um, one of the players from the Oakland Athletics took a knee during the anthem. So that was, an, uh, you know, basically it's, just, it's an escalation. And... So what happened was none of the players from either team, Seattle or Tennessee, were out on the field. Uh, from what we were told, the players decided that the, this is what they were going to do. It's a message of unity and solidarity that none of them were going to participate in the anthem at all. Yeah. Um, what we, I'm a little disappointed by this, so I'll, I'll be honest. I am disappointed because... What we don't know is what choices were they given. We were told that the, the players true, chose this, but yeah. given given options A, B, and C, they chose A. But we don't know what B and C were, and so I think that they were trying to make it. Um, I heard that they were trying to make it um, better for the the few players that didn't feel comfortable as a team. Uh, showing the unity together during the anthem with the taking the knee um, that it was better just to then all remain together inside. Yeah. 
and not make that statement. It's hard, want, they, Keith. It really is hard. Yeah. They didn't want individual players singled out for either their action or their lack of action. And so they're yeah. to protect the individual, the team did this thing as a whole. I, uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what they do as they, as we go forward, because I, we, we just don't know uh, all the different options of everything that the, that, that the players were given when they chose this as their action. Um, and we'll see. I would have loved to have seen all the players out there, all of them taking a knee together, the way you've seen some high school teams, some college teams, college bands. Um, you know, I would have I would have liked to see, if you're going to do solidarity, then do that, but do it where you're making a statement and not where you're hiding uh, in the locker room, because this is exactly what the anti-protest crowd has been asking for. They've been asking for, they're like, look, if the players are going to keep doing these protests, leave them in the locker room. Don't even bring them out so we don't have to look at it. And that's what the that's what the Seahawks did, was they stayed in the locker room so that people didn't have to look at it and they didn't have to be uncomfortable by it. Well, I have a, a couple of thoughts on that. <clears throat> Immediately, just to answer that particular point, is that I think it was in 2009, the league started mandating... Uh, participation in the anthem as part of their uh, promotion uh, and dollars spent by the Defense Department to promote military recruitment during games. I just need to be clear. I mean, that's where it started, okay? Before Mm -hmm. then, teams weren't required to have their teams on the field for the the national anthem. Um, So this is kind of a new phenomenon. Um, But beyond that, I, you know, all I want to say is protest is not convenient. Protest doesn't come in the form that sometimes that you want it to come in. Um, it is meant to make you feel uncomfortable sometimes as a human being, to make you question your uh, your own ideas and your own ideals. And that's what this is really about, is it is not a protest about the anthem or about the flag it's really a protest about the American ideal and that it's not ideal for a certain segment of the population. And America is always on a quest to form a more perfect union. And it's not a perfect union. I think we all recognize that. And that's what this protest is about. And sure, it's inconvenient, and some people that interpret it in different ways. Um, I think really the bottom line is, is that this entire thing is is forcing us to have a conversation. And I think that that conversation needs to be focused on empathy. It's like we have lost the ability to be empathetic to our fellow human beings, to our fellow citizens. If you're in the different tribe, I am not, I don't even like you. I can't be friends with you. I can't marry you. I can't anything with you. We're just totally separate. We've lost the ability to empathize. Um, you know, and sports and patriotism and respect for the flag and all that have been kind of conflated to such an extent that People can't separate out the nuances of of some of these arguments. It's either all oh, the flag and disrespect and the military and the first responders and all that stuff, or it's on the other side. No, it's not about that at all. It's about um, 
police brutality and all that stuff, you're missing the point. And, and we just completely fly by each other in these arguments. And I don't, just don't think it's any doing anybody any good. Um, and how do we start listening to each other anymore? And I think that's what we need to start talking about is how do we start listening to each other? How do we get past these um, superficial arguments and topics and really go to the root of the situation, which is our values. And I, and I think that's what it really comes down to for me. And I'm, I'm not going to spend any more time on it. I just want to lay it out there that I think it's, it's about our values and about empathy. And it's like, what do we value? And I'd say like 98% of all of us value the same things as Americans. We believe in the same things. We believe in our constitution, what it really stands for, what it really means. And we get lost and tied up into all these different things and arguments and uh, the, the, the stage that the, the president has to be able to say things that kind of incite people to feel certain ways and so forth. And we just need to put all that away and just kind of come together and say, you know what, we've got a lot more in common than we don't. And that'll help us kind of break through this stuff. And I, I mean, I don't know what else to do. Well, no, you, that makes a great point, And that is absolutely what has to happen if we are ever going to make progress. Um, and I think that well, I don't want to sh- I don't want to stop the players from protesting because I believe that they are forcing us as a nation to have a conversation about um, race and law enforcement and those kind of things. And if we if they didn't do this protest, we would be very likely to never have that conversation. We would just. Yeah. You know, stick with the status quo. We're comfortable and and just move along. And we need to have this. This is something that the nation needs in order to uh, to continue to move forward. And so, I don't like that the protest is now being turned into this Trump versus anti-Trump thing when it really has nothing to do with that and everything to do with yeah. ra- racial inequality. That's, That's right. The point. Well, these That's protests started. Keep it focused. These protests started when Barack Obama was president. These did not start with Trump. Yeah. This is not a Trump situation. You know, he can make it better mm-hmm. or he can make it worse. That's because of the position he holds. But this does not is not born out of that. Some of these nope. ideas uh, and the inequalities and so forth are born out of the culture that we do have in the United States. But that's a totally, completely separate situation. We do need to have those conversations. But, you know, on the just on the surface of this whole situation is that I, I believe that people do have a First Amendment right to uh, have the freedom of speech and expression. Uh, this holds true for a multitude of different views and topics and ideas. Uh, half of which I probably disagree with and half of which I probably agree with. Um, so I think people need to stop and, and try to put away the angst and the anger of the superficial idea that it's a, that it's a protest against the anthem and it's disrespectful and then start asking the deeper questions, you know, please just stop before you give up on the Seahawks or before you give up on Michael Bennett or anybody else, just stop and ask, you know, what's going on that's making them feel like they need to make this statement? Why do they feel like they need to protest? And maybe some of those answers will help 
mitigate this this sticky situation? Yeah, I mean, it's it. There is no easy road forward, and it creates a difficult situation. But progress usually comes from difficult situations. Isn't so that the truth, Keith? We get we get a chance to sit and watch and and uh, be as active as we can be to you know do what we can do and see if we can see some change happen and that's that's what we're looking for but uh, as of right now you know that's what's going on with the team but there's also games to be played yep. and there was one played on Sunday so let's yeah well I'm I glad we, we I'm glad we set our and yeah I'm there. glad we set our piece and you know and that'll be the yeah, end of that me too. and uh, you know. I think going forward, though, uh, we're going to focus on football. And um, let's talk a little bit about a couple injuries that we had in the game. Doug Baldwin left the game with a groin injury. Keith, any updates on that, what we can expect with that? What we Here's what we were told was that he was going to have an MRI. The team didn't think it was like really serious, like he was going to be surgery and IR or anything like that. But at the same time, he's having an MRI, which means it's not nothing. Uh, we kind of expect him to miss some time, maybe a couple of weeks, while it, you know, the inflammation goes down and it heals uh, a little bit. But it isn't going to be a, a season ender or anything like that. But it, it's going to hurt. I mean, Doug Baldwin is a legit top ten receiver in the um, NFL, and you don't lose a player like that. Uh, I thought I saw just, Greg Bell tweet just before we came on that um, he he uh, heard from Doug that uh, Doug was going to play seriously i that i had not heard i just heard that they were going to have an the mri but we had not gotten the results back and that the team didn't think it was serious but it was still not nothing yeah that, like well that it certainly the, remains the to be seen that i heard i'm sure it'll end up being a quote-unquote game time decision um you know unless he's ruled out by thursday which is a total yeah. possibility so how about dewey mcdonald we got another situation there though yeah, see, Dewey McDonald, um, so he's a backup linebacker, but what he really is is um, a special teams ace, uh, you know, just absolutely stud guy on coverage teams, punt kickoffs, and he tore his ACL. He is done for the year. He's headed to IR. Um, the team's going to have to replace him. I, You look at the options of who they have. Tyvis Powell, if you remember that name from last year. They just year. let him go, Keith. Um, just this last hour, they, they let did. him go off the practice squad. They re-signed. See, a de- when they-, they signed a defensive end, Keith, and I don't. I didn't write it down in my notes because I didn't think we were going to talk about it. And and here we are. Um, oh, see, so when they when they brought Tyvis Powell into the practice squad, he, that's what he did. When he was with right. the team, he was a special teams only. That was that was his goal. And so I'm like, okay, he's a guy that can, that they might call, call up. But apparently, they've decided not to do that. Yeah, just at uh, four re- o'clock, I read that. Well, of course. So, yeah, just forty-five minutes ago, <laughs> um, so. the re- the reason why the the Dewey McDonald thing hurts is because um, Nico Thorpe has a fairly serious ankle injury, and he's going to be out for a while. And DJ Alexander is also going to be out for a while. And those three players were the top three guys on coverage teams, and all of them are yeah. hurt. So, and you could yeah. you could see it at times. Um, on Sunday where the, you know, the coverage teams just weren't quite the same and because they didn't have those three guys that that's what they do really well. And so the Seahawks are going to have to figure out a way to make up for the fact that all three of those guys are going to be out for a while. Yeah. They had Michael Wilhoit playing 58% of the snaps, almost 68, uh, 60%. And he also played 
92% of the special team snaps. So talking about a guy mm-hmm. that was worn out, that guy played a total of uh, 70, 76 snaps in the game, which is pretty substantial. I mean, that's just as much as Sherman and Chancellor and so forth. I mean, when you add Sherman up, Sherman played uh, 84 snaps total, including special teams, but he was lucky to play yeah. that many snaps because he, he was in jeopardy of getting kicked out of the game, that guy. Yeah, I I don't think that it was as close as yeah, that's true. People wanted people wanted to you say you know when it I was mean, as close as I thought it was going to be is when he was he continued to jaw, when he was continuing to yap and yap with his helmet off on the field, walking down the field chasing the umpire. I thought that's the moment that that guy could just turn around and just throw a flag right there and he'd be gone. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. come on, dude, just turn around, you know. But the other one, I think, with the uh, the hit there on the sideline. Against uh, Mariota, yeah, I mean that was a it was kind of a a play you don't want your defensive guy to to make, but it wasn't malicious. I don't, I didn't think. I thought it was a slightly late hit, but not so late that it was uh, intentionally malicious. Yeah, I mean Mariota was he was out of bounds. He was going out of bounds. Sherman didn't need to make that hit. I have no problem with it being a flag, um, but Sherman didn't go to the head. He hit him in the chest. He also, it, it wasn't like three yards out of bounds. Mariota still had a foot in the field of play. So to give you an idea how close they were to the sideline. So to me, I go, okay, throw the flag for a little late hit, but that's not a that's not an ejectable offense, I didn't think. so. Um, I tell you what, it sure got everybody up in arms. I mean, and granted, yeah, our team would have done the same thing. You hit Russell Wilson like that, that close to the boundary, and you're going to end up having some folks in your face. That's just the way Absolutely. it is. That's football. So, Keith, let's yep. run through this thing so we've got some order to it. So let's start out in the in the first quarter, second quarter on offense. What are, What's going on with our offense where, uh, you know, we're starting games just looking completely discombobulated? Is it all well, on the offensive at, line, Keith? It really is. I mean, okay, in this particular game, it mostly was, but it wasn't all. Um, if you look, okay, just go from the very first play, right? Uh, the very first play, running play, Chris Carson to the right. It's outside zone. Uh, this is the this is a play that was part of the script. It's been practiced. It's been walked through. Everybody like it. There should be no problems with execution. Because is that of, part of the problem? The, and it's been well, script. W- you know what I'm saying? Well, because by the time we no. get to the unscripted part in the in the you know at the end of the second quarter and the in the second half, it seems like we're tearing it up and everything that's scripted. We seem to be not executing for some reason. But it's not an execution problem. To me, it came down, like, a lot of it was a play design problem. That very first play, right, in order for, the way it's drawn up, it's a running play, so this is entirely on our running game coordinator, which is Tom Cable. Um, The way it's drawn up requires Jimmy Graham to reach block, which means to block someone who's in front of him, uh, not directly in front of him, but towards uh, and the side tor- towards the tackle. closer to where closer to the hole than where he is. Um, and you're asking him to block someone, which is a gap and a half. So it's a it's a run to the right, and you're asking someone a gap and a half to his right. He can't reach that. Nobody can reach that. That's just way too far over to say I'm. He got to block that guy. So of course he didn't, and that guy makes the tackle for for no gain. It's terribly. Uh, poor in its design and 
you just it's impossible to expect guys to be able to do that and of course it failed but it's, it failed because of is that a situation that um wilson comes up to the line takes a look at the read on defense and makes an adjustment not on the first play it, it not on the first so if he read, knows if he knows then by looking at the defensive scheme as a quarterback, and he realizes that Graham has no chance whatsoever to pick up that guy, and he still hands off the ball. It, what is, is he just hoping that the guy's going to whiff, or I mean, what? What it, what it is is as the on first, it's first down. It's not third down where you're trying to trying to extend a drive. It's first down, the first play. You you run the play that's in the script, regardless of of what you see, because the coaches are wanting to see how the other team defends it. And so they can use that information later. Uh, so, you know, on third down, you can, you'll hit, they'll loosen the reins and let him make adjustments as needed. But on first and second down, you just got to do it. And it, the, the running game will never get to where we want it to be until they fix these schematic issues. And they will never fix these schematic issues as long as Tom Cable is in charge of, coordinating the run game i mean he just well yeah ten, yes ten, yes and no 10 years Keith, ago I mean, he did 10 years ago it would have worked okay five years ago it would have worked because instead of trying to block that guy jimmy graham would have dove at his knees and cut block him got him on the ground and that would have been effective but you can't do that anymore they've changed the rules and you can no longer uh because that would have counted as a chop block it would have been a 15 yard penalty so ev- the way these plays are designed don't work because they've changed the rules to make it so they they can't you've got to block in different ways and tom cable has not adapted his scheme well, that's an excellent to point rules. i mean that's an excellent point keith i mean it really is i mean we need to look at that kind of stuff because <clears throat> you know without being in the uh in the offensive line room or the offensive line offensive overall room with bevel it's really hard to understand and know what these guys are thinking week in week out because you know you can just look at different plays different still images of the offensive line in operation where they're all laying on the ground and guys are walking all over them and jumping over them and running around them and and it's consistently bad it's not like it's Okay, there's one play, and the next ten are pretty good, and then oh, there's one, and so by the time the end of the game, you've got five or six plays that are bad, and you've got fifty plays that are good. It's not like that. It's like no, it's not forty percent of the time. Russell Wilson is getting pressured. Forty fifty percent of the time, running plays are getting blown up behind the line of scrimmage, where we're either having to scramble to gain that extra yard just to get back to the line of scrimmage. Or our running back is having to make a quick read to to cut outside or whatever uh, off of the normal lane that he's kind of looking to run through, and uh, you know it. I don't want to harp on it too much. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, we just need to figure it out, right? I mean, it's either going to hold this team back to the point where we're eight and eight because that's what that's the kind of team it looks like right now, unless we can really turn the corner on the season and. We're going to have to do that pretty soon. I mean, we've got four games before the break. And uh, we could go 4 0. We've got an opportunity here to go 4 0. We could be, uh, you know, 5 and 2. 
at the at the the break and mm-hmm. right i mean we need to we need to be able to do that because otherwise the season is slowly but surely turning into this excuse scenario where we're going to excuse the entire season away because of the offensive line and some deficiencies well, in the other part of the the team i mean if you look at the defense too which we'll get into but you know there's it's just not coming together overall um you know, it was a winnable game. It was a winnable game on Sunday. It was a tough game. All games on the road are tough. I'm not going to get too down overall on the entire season yet or the team, but we certainly need an uptick on performance overall. So we're, you place the offensive line had a big chunk to do with why the, the offense started slow, but I mentioned earlier it wasn't the only thing. There was another problem. And that was Russell Wilson's accuracy was all over the place. His mechanics were bad. His footwork was weird during his throws. He was stepping sideways um, rather yeah. than you know stepping in into it. Uh, and of course, he he was overthrowing a lot of things. He started the game. I think it was three of ten for eighteen yards, um, which is terrible. Uh, and that had a lot to do with stalling drives too. So you have you have the running game not working because. The offensive line scheme and execution were both very poor, and the passing game not working because Wilson's mechanics were all wonky. And that's what happens. You get you get where nothing happened. And then right right before halftime, the Seahawks go into the two minute drill. You know they go to, go into a hurry up. They put the ball in Wilson's hands and three no plays. Time. Boom. Yep. Boom. 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 You know. Touchdown. Boom. Um, boom. Touchdown. T- yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, score. They score very quickly, go in, go into the lead, or you know, go in with, or take the lead at that point. Um, and it was like, okay. And then Wilson never slowed down. Yeah, he kept up. He kept up that hot pace for the rest of the game. I mean, he finished with what was it, three hundred and seventy-three yards, four touchdowns, no picks. And unlike oh. in previous games, he didn't have picks dropped. Um, he just like he was just on fire and was just completing everything. Um, and that's a hopeful sign, actually. Team, yeah, got this team back into the game. I mean, they were they were down by a lot and getting clobbered, and he brought them all the way back. They, and, he played well. They played well enough to win. Okay, the problem was on the defense yeah. this week. You know, the offense. Well, you can say all you want about the first quarter and a half or whatever. After that, the offense was pretty stellar, uh, mm-hmm. minus a running game. We really didn't have a running game because we were kind of playing from behind. But the defense then at that point. It was a tough day. I mean, I'm just going to say it was a tough day. It was a, it was like really hot. It was really humid. And you could just tell by the third quarter, these guys just ran out of gas. And that third quarter was awful. Yeah, it, it was rough. I mean, Marcus Mariota only threw two passes in the third quarter because he didn't have to throw anymore. Yeah. They just ran and ran and ran. And they just ran it right down Seattle's throat. Um, ended up with... Um, just trying to look here. Uh, we've got 195 yards on the ground, a 5.6 yards per carry average. That is uh, completely unacceptable. I mean, this team just was getting gashed in the running game, and it allowed Tennessee to build up that big lead. And then the CX just never were able to get things stopped quick enough to yep. give the offense a chance to bring it back. So. I mean, it was. A it seems like game. last year we were we were uh, a very much more of a dis- disciplined team. I mean, we had uh, three point four yards per carry last year against us, uh, led the league. Yep. The uh, the the explosive plays that the 
uh, defense is allowing uh, this year is is the tough part. And it's I mean, all in the running game, too. And it's all in the running game. There's nothing going on in the passing game, which is great. I mean, one, one part of our defense is really stout. The other part that I thought was going to be probably the best part about the defense was our defensive line mm-hmm. and our ability to stop the run and stuff. It looked like a no-brainer. Apparently, though, we've got a couple of issues that seem to be persistent. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a little weird because this is a team, like you said, it was 3.4 yards per carry, which was the best in the NFL. Right now, they're 5.3 yards per carry, which is the worst in the NFL. So, I mean, they've gone from being the best to being the worst, in, you know, from last year to this year. I actually think they'll get this cleaned up and end up, you know, back in the top five again by before the end of the season. There's just too much talent not to. But when you go through and you look, you see... It's not like you have defensive linemen that are just getting blown off the ball. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's gap assign. It's assignment football. Is what it, it is. is. You have um, <clears throat> in a week ago. You had you know on on the really big run by uh, Carlos Hyde. You had KJ Wright and Bobby Wanger both filling the same gap, which left the gap open, and he ran right through that gap. And you also in the same play had Cam Chancellor running right on by him. To, yeah, to, bad angle. Yeah, right. just it, to the outside um, and not even like getting himself involved in the play. And of course, you know, so that was, it took three player two, sorry, two out of those three players made terrible mistakes and it led to the big run. And when you go and you look at the, the really big run by DeMarco Murray and the other one um, by the other running back whose name... Henry. There, there we go. Uh <laughs> They they both had similar issues. You've got linebackers not setting the edge is what it, what it comes down to. Um, one of them was on both Will those Hoyt. runs. Yep, one of them was Will Hoyt. I saw that. I could not tell who the other one was. It might have been Will Hoyt again. It might have been KJ Wright. Um, but you have a linebacker coming inside, not setting the edge. Yeah, what happened was KJ Wright got strung. KJ Wright got strung out. You know, uh, too far out wide. You know, he allowed himself to to get blocked out of the play, basically. Yeah. So the edge wasn't set properly, and and they just got to the outside and were gone. And that's the type of stuff that didn't happen last year. It needs to get cleaned up. And the talent's there. We know these guys can do it. They just, they've got to execute. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, this last game, I'm, you've got to look at that defense as being just tired. Uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. They've got to continue to stay disciplined all the way through the game. But I think that that humidity and temperature kind of got to them in there and they lost focus and concentration a little bit. And that's all it takes sometimes in the NFL. And all of a sudden you've got a 75 yard scamper against you. And well, one that, of the, that's, that was the difference in the game. I mean, basically those two runs. Yep. One of the things that people keep saying uh, is that, well, the defense was tired. I mean, I get with the heat um, and everything, but they're like, but they, they try and blame the offense and they say the defense was tired because the offense couldn't sustain a drive. Well, you look at the time of possession, the Seahawks held the ball for 27 minutes. This isn't like the yeah, Green Bay bad. Packer game where they only held it for 21. The the time of possession was was fairly even. It was twenty seven to thirty three. It's only three minutes difference, and a lot of that came you know at the end of the game when they were running out the clock. Well, and, the, the big know, difference the, was the that so, the Titans were implicitly trying to run the ball, you know, and we were not. Yeah, and there's a it's a difference in, in energy expending uh, on the defensive side of the ball when you when you do that. They just wore us out. 
Yeah. I, it, it just, to me, I look at that and I go, the defense might have been tired, and I get that it was really hot and humid and, and that, but the offense did enough to win this if the defense could have stopped the run, but they, they didn't. So Only the Giants and the Chargers have allowed more rushing yards than the Seahawks this year, Keith. Yep, more. They've only those two have allowed more, but nobody has allowed more per rush than the Seahawks. There's a lot of positives though to take away. You know, I think Russell Wilson finding finding his uh, accuracy at at, you know in the second half of that game. Um, I think you know Chris Carson is looking like he's still a good running back. I really like the way he receives the ball out of the backfield. I mean, Mm -hmm. talk about it. I mean, just that diamond right there to to find that. Uh, it doesn't bode well for um, Thomas Rawls and Eddie Lacy, uh, who Eddie Lacy didn't see the field, although he was active, and Rawls had was in for one play and didn't touch the ball. So, yep, it was I don't the, know what's it was the Carson and Procise with those guys. Show. Yeah, and Procise, I understand, has an ankle now. Of course, he does. <laughs> yeah, it came out today, this afternoon, that he's got a little ankle tweak that was getting looked at. So, I yeah yeah yeah. So we'll see. Yep. Maybe Rawls gets his opportunity again uh, this next weekend. So um, anything else before we move on to the upcoming game, Keith? Um, the only other thing is, so we, we were talking about the, the, the rush defense. The pass defense statistically was pretty dang good. Um, but according to Pro Football Focus, they only got two quarterback pressures all game. Yeah, that's a bad omen right there. That's got to change. Now, that's even worse. That's even worse than than uh, getting slashed on those two big runs. Yeah. Because the entire game and no pressure. I mean, that's crazy. You want to talk about pressure. Mm-hmm. You got two pressures against Mariota and and uh I think Wilson probably has pressure on I don't know. I mean, just the eye. They said 40 it looks 40, like 70%. They said 44% of the snaps. Uh, it looks like more even than that. Yep. It's it's crazy. I mean, think about that. So if Russell Wilson's dropping back 49 times, that's 25 times he's getting pressure. And Mariota had two. Yep. Interesting, huh? <laughs> so, And that's yeah, not good I mean, for our defense. Our defense is supposed to be known for that. Yeah, I mean, and that's what they're built for. You got Avril, Bennett, Clark, and Richardson. Those four guys, they're supposed to be able to get after the quarterback, and they didn't. So it is, it's difficult. So, so so answer me this. So teams that start one and two on the season since 1990 only have a 24.4% chance of reaching the playoffs. Why are the Seahawks going to break that trend? Well, because most teams that start one and two are bad and the Seahawks aren't. <laughs> so um, they, the talent's there. Just They've also played two teams that I think are pretty much guaranteed to make the playoffs. Um, they've lost both of those games and they, so they on the road though too. Yeah. Keith, that's, I mean, it's yep. tough. I, I, I asked that question just because uh, I too believe though, that they are going to break that cycle there. They'll be one of those 25% mm-hmm. because uh, they faced two teams that both of you and I thought we could lose easily. Um, we picked one of each to lose to, um, I, I'm not worried. I'm I'm not worried. I mean, yeah. I mean, if it continues and we play this bad against Indianapolis at home, God, it would just be horrific. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think we'll put it together. We'll have a good deep uh, team. Start to build some momentum. Maybe pull out the next three or four wins. 
get to the bye week with a plus record and mm-hmm. and then I think we'll start to figure out who this team really is. So let's move on to the Colts because if there is ever a team that's going to help the Seahawks get right, it's the Colts because they're terrible. So uh, well, I, they did beat uh, they did beat Cleveland. So what's what what was going on? Uh, why did they win that game? And why should we think that that's just a you know that's just Cleveland? Well, because it's just Cleveland. Cleveland's zero and three, and and <laughs> they haven't they've won what one game in the last you know what is it two full seasons um, now? And that's, that's horrific. Yeah. So they, I mean, they're just they're just bad, and they they. You know, they're starting a rookie quarterback who has a lot of flaws, um, physically talented, but a lot of flaws. Um, and so they just are not a good team. Um, I guess he's not a rookie anymore, but... Uh, are you talking about... Uh, well, no, yeah, because so, so Cleveland. Cle- Jacoby Brissett um, so or, or the Cleveland Cle- quarterback? Cleveland has starting with a lot of flaws. They're just not a good team. And so, and then you look at the Colts. The Colts have Jacoby Brissett, who was a rookie last year, um, who was a third stringer um, in New England and actually got a couple of starts when Garoppolo was hurt and Brady was suspended and looked terrible. Uh, he actually looks better this year, but he is... I mean, he was still their third stringer. He's their starter right now. So we're not talking about Andrew Luck at all. Then he's out for this. He's game. out for this game. Yeah. No. The um, so we don't get we don't get a chance to see our Luck versus Wilson uh, matchup on Sunday night. That would have been kind of a premier kind of matchup. I mean, just for the ratings' sake, not yeah. necessarily for uh, the quality of play. But the name value would have been the name value of that matchup would have been great. But you know, with Luck being hurt. You know, we're, we get Jacoby Brissett coming in, uh, and that's just a, not a team that is that good. I mean, I noticed a name that uh, I recognize in Robert Turbin. Yep, he's the third What's down the, back. He's a, he's on their team, yeah. And Frank Gore, Frank Gore, which you'll recognize from his Forty Nine Days. He he's yeah. what like sixty four years old now. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like other- Frank Gore in the day, but man. <laughs> I don't know if he's got anything in the tank left. It would be interesting, but apparently he does. He's a starter he, on a team. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he's he is old, just straight up old when it comes to running backs. But the guy can still play. Um, so you know, don't count him out because he's still a guy that 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 can play. Unfortunately, their offensive line, it's, well, not as bad as Seattle's. It's in that that same. So we could look. F- we could look for Seattle to kind of dominate the game uh, with Seattle's defense. What can we expect from the Colts' defense against our struggling offense? Well, maybe not struggling anymore. We don't know exactly who's going to show up, uh, but what are we going to face? So the Colts actually are a pretty good run defense. They only give up 3.3 yards per carry, which is eighth in the NFL right now. Um, they've done a pretty good job stopping the run. What they don't have is a bunch of elite pass rushers or cornerbacks. And therefore, they have they give up 7.9 yards per pass attempt, which is 25th in the NFL. That's pretty bad. Um, I would expect Russell Wilson, even without Doug Baldwin, because he's got Jimmy Graham and he's got Lockett and Richardson and the rest of those guys, I would expect um, uh, Russell Wilson to have a pretty big game uh, this week. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... 
I agree. I think uh, especially since Russell Wilson has found that um, that run game of his a little bit where he can go out and extend plays and get away from our offensive line surge <laughs> that, that seems to en- encroach upon him uh, with every drop back. You know, the only thing I'm concerned about Wilson is I saw him hit a couple of times against the Titans um, where I thought, hey, man, he's just he's he's holding the ball just a little bit too much still for me, especially uh, on that one drop back where he drops straight back. I think if Fetty t- missed his assignment, the outside actually, uh, the, edge. I think it's Chris Carson um, because they're really they had six guys at the line of scrimmage and six blockers. And so if you look at it. The guy that would have been a Fetty's guy dropped out, and the outs the, the furthest guy outside is usually the guy you give to the running back because all he's got to do is slow him down a little bit. And Carson came over and took a really bad angle, and the guy was all the way around him, you know, without being touched. And so I, I think it that's actually on Chris Carson. But at the same time, None, like, nonetheless, you got to throw that ball away. Yeah, he. You know, you just do. you got to do something. You've either got to run to your left. And run away from it, do a, the the pirouette that he likes to do, and and in order to get outside of it and run to the right, he's got to do something other than run straight back back and and ground and then get called for intentional grounding and turn uh, what would have been was it third and goal into third and no no it's like third and three into third and twenty nine, um, and you, you can't do that. You just it was cost the team points is what it did and. Um, he- you know, the other guy that you could probably see emerge this week, too, again, is Jimmy Graham. I mean, <clears throat> I was uh, finally, uh, uh, Jimmy was uh, got on track. Seven catches, 72 yards. No no touchdowns yet for on the year, but seven That's catches, 72 yards. still disappointing to me. He they came did at- try to go to him in the end zone, but it was kind of a pathetic throw and he didn't even he didn't even try to jump for it there yeah it was a um, it was a fade that was thrown behind him and a little too far outside just not not accurate yeah. enough for him to go up and get and and it didn't it ended up not going anywhere but at least they tried at least he had a red zone target which is yeah. you know not normal because usually like and there were a couple of other times they were down in the red zone and he was getting literally triple teamed he had three guys in bracket coverage around him and of course you know wilson went elsewhere with the ball but when he's attracting that much attention, that usually means someone else is going to be open. So that's they're going to have to go elsewhere, but the other guys have to make plays. What are you looking for on our defense, Keith? Are you? I mean, we should be able to shut the run down, but Gore has always done well against us. Yep. Well, not always. I mean, he he's had some good games, but the Seahawks have also keyed on him and shut him down and, and others. Um, I don't think they should need to. I don't think the Seahawks will be giving up more than six points in this game. There's just no reason to. Uh, they they are the Seahawks' defensive line is supposed to be a strength. The Colts' offensive line is a weakness. This should be a, a point where the front the front four dominate this game, and if they do, they can shut down the run. They can pressure. The quarterback, Jacoby Brissett's not going to be a guy who's going to beat them over and over and over again. He will get make some plays with his feet, make some scrambles, extend some drives that way. But is he going to be able to make enough to and extend to make enough of those plays in one drive in order to get them down the field and score? Um, 
Yeah, it's going to be tough going. It's going to be a slog for for the the Colts, and it should be. Yeah. I mean, come on, this is the Seahawks. This is Sunday night football. We always get primed up for these games. We want to get back to to even two and two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just there's no way that they can lose this game unless they have like three or four turnovers, some weird crappy, yeah, head case game where you just can't hold on to the ball or something. As long as they take care of the ball, I think the Seahawks end up having. I, I hopefully they get their uh, ground game going. Uh, if, especially if we're not playing from behind, we can kind of ride Chris Carson and see what he looks like when we he gets twenty twenty two touches. Um, and and Wilson kind of just has one of those three touchdown games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we we could probably win twenty eight to yeah six nine something like that. Yeah, I mean, I just look at this and I and and this matchup looks like the Colts match or that's Colts the uh, 49ers matchup where they gave up they only gave up nine points in that game uh but most and most of the defensive yards given up were on two Carlos Hyde runs you take those two runs away and the yeah. 49ers did nothing and I think and 99 yards passing yeah 99 yards passing is all Hoyer had um and I I could see the Seahawks having that kind of defensive output without the two big rushes, meaning just like under 200 yards of total offense by the Colts. I would really like to see some pressure in this game too, Keith. I'd love it. <clears throat> I want to see, I want to yeah. see Brissett get sacked at least three times and you know, the, the run game stuffed and Seahawks get up to a big lead. And ideally, ideally Russell Wilson does not play in the fourth quarter because, uh, wow. Because they're blowing them out and, you know, Davis is in there getting some reps. Like that is the game I want to see this weekend. Now, yeah, that's that. You kind of caught me off guard with that statement. I was like, <laughs> 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 yeah, that would be good. That would be a good game. Yeah, we could be up by you know twenty eight, thirty four points, something like that. Yep. In the in the fourth quarter, and uh, Davis could come in, up like, mop it up. I would love that. Up thirty. We haven't had a game like that for a while. Yeah. Have the Seahawks up like thirty four to three at the end of third quarter as Davis comes in. You know, Carson and Wilson and Graham and those guys are all sitting on the sidelines, jumping up and down, rooting for the backups. That's the game I want to see. Do I think it'll happen? Probably not, because these are the Seahawks and they love close games, even when they shouldn't be close. But that it's still the game I want to see this weekend. So uh, there's a, before we leave, there's a lot of fans that are kind of pining for Wilson to just basically take over and the fact that our our identity as a team has flipped we've gone from a run first team now we're a pass first team they point to wilson's stats through three games 66 of 115 729 yards five tds zero interceptions 90 you know 91 uh quarterback rating why is that a bad formula keith um or is that a good formula you if you look at you look around the league look at the saints Okay, they're not that good this year, but they have been traditionally. The Patriots, the Packers, you can win that way. I know there was a time when it was thought that you could not win that way. Um, but when Seattle, when Seattle's had those kind of stats where Wilson takes over games, our winning percentage is not that great. Yes, but it's not. It isn't that Wilson is taking over games and that causes the team to lose. It's that the team is getting beat. And Wilson has to bring the team back. 
it's 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 reversed. They try and run first, and when the run fails and they fall way behind, like they did in this game, you know where it was. What was it thirty to fourteen? Uh, and Wilson has to throw them back into the game. So of course he did, and got got him within six at twenty seven thirty three. Just um, ran out of time. But he ran out of time, and so yeah, when Wilson has big games, the Seahawks lose. But they they don't lose because he had big games. He had a big game because they were losing, and he and he threw him into it. I would love to see the Seahawks come out in the first quarter and throw a bunch and move the ball, score some points, and th- loosen up the defense. Loosen up the defense a little bit, and then bring in the running game and just run it down their throats and you know tire them out and pa- you, you, they've got to do something different because what they're doing right now isn't working. That is right, and we could see that. I mean, I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it takes a little bit of mojo to admit that you've been doing something wrong and you're going to move into a different direction in the fourth game of the season. So I'm not exactly sure if, you know, if they believe based on film and scouting that they can run the ball right up, you know, right up the gut, right at the very beginning, they'll probably stick to their formula and try it. You know, but then again, uh, the Colts D is given up 3.3 yards of carry. That's eight in the up. Eighth in the NFL. Yeah. They're not a bad defensive run-stopping team. Maybe this isn't the week that we stay with the same old, same old. Maybe this is the week yep. that we completely charge it up. Sunday night football, have Wilson sling it around a little bit. You know, it, it may come down to Baldwin. I mean, if Baldwin is ready to go, maybe they do that. Maybe if he's not, they play a little more conservative to the vest and you know, we see a closer game. I don't know. Well, I'd like to see them just be more more. Uh, more multi in their 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 scheme, and you know, go come out with uh, process in the backfield if he's healthy, if not Carson, um, and two tight ends. That's it, a run first formation. But mm-hmm. when your two tight ends are Jimmy Graham and Luke Wilson, you can still throw the ball very effectively out of that, especially if you can. And with process back there, that's the great. Yeah, yeah, because then you've still got with whoever is on the outside, you've still got five wide receivers in the game. Essentially, you got five receivers. So come out in that. In that form, that, those kind of formations, look at the defense. Say, okay, they're set up to defend the run. We're going to throw. And if you get up there and they're like, nope, they see the same thing that we're talking about. They're out there ready to defend the pass. Well, guess what? We've still got Carson or Procise. We've still got at least Wilson who can block. Jimmy Graham can at times. He's not great at it, but he can still do it. Um, and yeah. and and run it and or you know, run read option out of that and keep Wilson involved and, uh, you know, do give them an opportunity to be more dynamic in, dynamic. in, in what yes. they want to do. And, and I would love to see the, the Seahawks kind of just move forward and evolve a little bit on offense. They don't have to become the Patriots where they're throwing the ball 50 times a game, every game. They don't have to become, you know, anything like that. Uh, I just want to see them do use more. the talent to our best, yeah. our best ability. Yeah, just, you know? just take the. We've got very got talented players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, I think Keith, we have uh, kind of wrapped this up for today. Um, I'm looking for a win. Yeah, next Sunday, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I think you know, chances are pretty darn good that we're going to come out of there two and two. Um, and then move forward from there. And, um, you know, I think I, I have some hope. There's a glimmer of hope there coming out of the offense uh, in the second half of that last game that 
maybe this whole thing has kind of worked itself through a little bit and we can now evolve, as you said, into a more dynamic offense, uh, a little bit more balanced too. I would still like to see them run the ball. I mean, there's no reason why Chris Carson should be having 15 touches. You know, I think that ideally you want your running back or running backs as a group to have 20 to 25 touches easy. Yeah. Um, and, and control the clock for over 30 minutes a game. I mean, that's just the, that's a good formula. It's a winning formula. Pete Carroll has shown that that can be a Super Bowl winning formula. We, I just don't know if we have the personality to do it. I mean, and, th- and that requires some adaptation. I mean, if the offensive line is not able to block, run block, to get those kind of carries to build a lead in a game, you're always going to be playing from behind. It's always going to be kind of a mess because we end up falling out of our game plan and it looks like a scattered thing. And it is. Yeah. Without the run blocking being where it needs to be. And part of that is the run blocking talent. But as we talked about earlier, some of it is actually the run blocking scheme that they're, that they're currently employing Um, until they get, if they get the scheme fixed, they'll have more success. I don't think they will be a great running team just because of, you know, who their, their linemen are, but they'll be a better running team and, and that'll help. Um, but we're talking about Tom Cable and his ego and I just don't see it happening. So at this point, so Keith, to me, you're in kind it, of a catch 22. Yeah. You're in kind of a catch 22, Keith, because the best case scenario for you is Tom Cable leaves. Yes. But that would also mean that we were an unsuccessful team at least for one season in order for that to happen. I don't think that if we were going back to the Super Bowl, he's probably not going to jettison his line coach that got him there. If, however, we happen to be one and out in the playoffs again this year, miss the playoffs for some reason, I think we could see some changes. Yeah, I mean, the, I worry that we're, we are wasting this great defense and the Russell Wilson in his prime and what is a Super Bowl championship team we are wasting year after year of that on Tom Cable lines and as it a kind group, of feels that way you just can't deal with that now other teams have done it they've had you know playoff um teams and really good teams and they've made changes the Patriots did it a couple of years ago where they uh, you know cuz uh Howard Mudd retired and they they replaced him and then decided even though you know they won a super bowl and then um you know the next year made it back to the playoffs they decided you know what it wasn't working they made another and they made a change and i just hope the seahawks do that tom cable's value is supposed to be his ability to to generate a run game he has proven now multiple years he's can't he can no longer since the rules changed on chop blocks and, and cut blocks he can no yes. longer do that. And hopefully Pete Carroll That's will right. see just because they won, just because they made it to the playoffs and, you know, won a playoff game or, you know, whatever they did that just because they were able to do that doesn't mean they had the running game, which is what Tom Cable was supposed to bring. And hopefully that will mean that, that the team will be willing to make a change. Well, with that, let's go win a game on Sunday. Let's do that. Put all this chatter behind. Put all this chatter behind us and uh, move forward and uh, have a successful season. You know, and whatever that means for Tom Cable at the end, I don't really care at this point. I just want to win. Yep. <laughs> just give me a win, baby. So, uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. It's the Hawks Playbook Podcast. You can find Keith at Myers NFL. Keith has also told me that he might be writing an article soon at some point and might post it on the website. So. You might look for that 
Maybe. <laughs> Not no pressure, Keith. No, no pressure. No pressure you've, at all. You've just, taken enough. Just, just put it you've out taken there. Taken enough so. damn time off, though. Jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know the thing about having two small kids is they keep me very busy. So, um, but at the well, same now time, you make me feel guilty. Now I'm now I, I I've reached a point where I don't have time, but I really want to get back into the swing of uh, of writing about this team and 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 doing that. So I I feel like. At some point, I'm just going to break down and stop sleeping so that I can get my get some words on a page because I have to. I just have to. It's just part of who I am now. So follow Keith on Twitter, and uh, you can you can be inside Keith's brain. I'm sorry Awkward for silence. I'm sorry for the mess for those of you who are inside my brain. <laughs> you can follow me at Northwest Seahawk. You can follow the podcast at. Hawks playbook and um, find us on Facebook and I've got an Instagram thing up there and occasionally throw some pictures up there and uh, the website has is, is a great resource and we've got every podcast we've done we're up to 30 now are all located on the website and for every single podcast we do we create a really nice set of show notes for everybody to read in case they just don't have time or they want to kind of go in depth uh, to what we're talking about you can have a, a great set of show notes to look through um, that's it. So, uh, you got a question this week? I know you had one last week, but I don't know if you had one this week. Well, uh, the one um, I had, not, the one I had, deal. The, we'll ask for one though. The one I had for last week, the answer was, uh, answered in that it was the first player to be benched on the O-line, which was, it turned out to be Mark Lewinsky. So we, um, yeah. we, we answered the, the Seahawks answered that question for us and we don't have to actually answer it. And I did not get a new question this week. Well, the good news is, Keith, they, they, they admitted that they needed to move on from a player, and they did. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, uh, Abushe is, is better than Glowinski. He's not a, a world beater, but I think he does give a nice little veteran presence to that side of the line, and maybe they stick with that for a while and see how that goes. So. At, some, at, at some point, this, this line is so bad as a whole. At some point, you have to just say, we spent a second round pick on a guy. He needs to play, and even if he's yeah. even if he's bad, he at least has to get experience and get prepared for next year. Because it's not like the guy he's replacing is any better. Because the whole line. All right. Is bad. So, quick question. Quick question. If Posit comes in, where do you put him? And and how do you shuffle the line around to accommodate that? Stick him at left tackle. Because the weakest point of the entire line is is Reset Odiambo uh, at left tackle. And do you think Posick could be better than Jokel at left tackle with no experience, or do you move Posick to left guard and let Jokel move out? I mean, you could just. Do, a, I mean, just a theoretical you, you could question. Do, you could do that uh, either way. I mean, I would. I think Posick's um, long term future is as a tackle probably as a right tackle at first and then maybe moving over to left tackle after, you know, year three, year four, somewhere in that range once he's got a little bit more experience as a tackle. Um, so, yeah, so maybe stick him in at guard and, and move Jokel out, do that. I, either way, Reese Odiombo has been a massive liability. You've got the second-round pick. You need to find out if he can play. Get him in, get him in games. And I think at some point they have to make that move. Well, that'll be curious if they do that. I, you know, I'm open because they're they're like you said they're bad, so they might as well just be bad and then play the guy that you expect to be better in 
the next year or two. Yeah. I mean, Get him some experience. I don't, I don't think playing Posick makes the line significantly worse because they're already the worst line in the league. And it gives them the hope that there, there's the prospect of becoming significantly better once he gets some playing time and some experience and, and, and adapts to the NFL. So at some point you just have to make that move. You've got to go with the young guy. Yeah. Well, I think if they, if they start to win, uh, that lessens that chance. Now, if they, if they start to lose and so forth, I think that they probably go ahead and make some different changes like that. It would, it would add to the percentage uh, for me to be able to do that, but we'll see. I mean, there's, you kind of want to stay with some continuity if you can, but like you said, if there's, I don't think you could do worse than Odiambo is doing <laughs> out there on the left side. But yeah, then I said it, that it, about Glowinski too. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. You know, it's, it is what it is. Yep. And I, we need to figure out a way to win re- regardless because w- the rest of the team is stellar for the most part. I mean, we've had some, you know, little issues that I think that can be corrected, but for the most part, we got a pretty decent team and I think we could win. I think maybe I would revise my win total this, you know, from down from 13 to maybe 11. Um, just based on the way that everything looks. I mean, I'm just trying to be realistic, but, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it doesn't look like, you know, getting through the second round of the playoffs to the NFC championship game. I don't know if we're that team this year, but we could be if they put together a streak, but the boy, they'd really have to put it on Keith. They'd have to come up with a nice win streak. And I, right now they're just so not complete that, it's hard for me to envision that. Yeah, I mean, what's going to have to happen is Wilson's going to have to get up, get to the point where he's on fire, like he was at the second half of 2015, where he was individually making up for a very substandard uh, offensive line. And then once they get the passing game, because Wilson's going, using that as a jumping off point to get Chris Carson in the running game going. Uh, if they can do that, I think they could put together a streak and get where they're um, a first or a second seed. But that's really what you're asking. You're asking for Russell Wilson to be the best or at least top three quarterback in the entire NFL and not make mistakes. And because that's what he's going to have to do for this, this team to do that unless the offensive line gets their act together. And that's what we're waiting for. One of those two things have to happen for the Seahawks too get one of those that first round buy that they need in order to go deep in the playoffs. Well, winning kill, uh, you know, cures a lot of stuff. It really so does. let's go win this game. Let's go win this game. Talk about all the good things that happen next week and in, in next week's podcast. And we'll just move forward from there and take it one week at a time. And who knows? Cause it's football and the football yep. is oblong for a reason. It doesn't bounce straight up and down. It bounces all over the place. So anything can happen. You know, certainly no reason to give up on the season being one and two right now. I think uh, we've got a win coming up. We'll get back to 500. And after that, the the schedule is in the Seahawks' favor. It's a matter of can they take advantage of it. So until next week, Keith, thank you so much for joining. And uh, have a great week. Enjoy the game. And uh, we'll meet back here next Tuesday. Awesome. Sounds fun. I'll see you then. See you, everybody. Bye. Hey, Hawks fans. Thanks for listening to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio and listen to all of our shows on hawksplaybook.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hawks Playbook 
Bill is at NWC Hot, and Keith is at Myers NFL. Is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.